and uh, we're now working on another technology that helps people to shop online without having um, any words. So it's wordless search. Welcome to Tech Talks, hosted by myself, David Savage, and powered by Nash Squared. On today's show, we're going to be talking to the co-founders of Miros, an Estonian startup. But before that, I'm joined by Akish. How are you? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. We're uh, recording on a on a bit of a, a stormy Monday afternoon uh, here in the UK. To our American listeners, I, I understand that the snow has reached all the way down to Texas. We're getting battered by storms. Yeah. We lost power for a bit last night. I mean, I felt as if my windows were literally about to, like, give way last night, um, which was not fun at all. Like, trying to no. sleep and... Uh, I don't know about you, but I was really conscious about like a tree landing on my car and bins and oh god. Anyway, we've got some episodes coming up on uh, sustainability and green tech soon. Um, definitely the season for it. Yes. Um, Akish, let me ask you this. I'm going to stretch the uh, format of of uh, podcasting here by showing you something visual. The listeners are going to have to go with us. How would you describe this coat? Um, I mean. I wouldn't wear it. Uh, <laughs> if, 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 if that's what you're asking, I'm not that fashionable. I'm currently sat here for all all our listeners with a uh, with a shirt on and you a gilet. You were doing a bit of a finance bro um, look. I, I have got a finance bro look because I've actually been in Canary Wharf all day. So <laughs> I have Doesn't been... Doesn't mean li- you need to dress like them. Well, I chose to dress like a finance bro. So yeah, I've got a gilet and a, you know, uh, a dress shirt on with some if trousers. Anyone's sure, if anyone's yeah. not sure what we're on about, just type finance bro into uh, into Instagram. <laughs> you'll, get a, you'll get an idea of me pretty yeah. quick. Uh, with that, how I would describe that coat, very fashionable and not very me uh, is what I'd say. So look, Miros today, they are a, a visual AI tool that are shaping the future of e-commerce. So basically they they promise to be able to exceed shoppers' expectations with wordless search. And that, that coat they've got on the front page of their website saying, how would you describe this coat to search for it? Which is a good question because it's kind of a coat come cape with no sleeves. It's very fashionable. And the problem they say is that 97% of shoppers leave without buying anything and 99% of products never get discovered by your shoppers basically miros within 30 seconds will be able to read your mind and know what products you want whether that's fashion footwear furniture decor how do you feel about that i mean you're just going to get lots of gilet by the looks of it uh, lots of gilets and shirts available at outlets that do them in four for 120 pounds not naming any names but you know people so were... is that is that what it would read your mind as? <laughs> uh, do you know what that's that's actually bloody scary because i don't know about you right but if 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 i am in a in a shopping mood or if i'm on a website or some sort of an mm-hmm. app and it's a you know shopping related thing i always have two categories things that i want and can't afford and or you know can't allocate that much cash to it at that specific time for whatever mm-hmm. reason or there's also things that I'm like, well, I would just like a better version of something that I already have. Uh, I think I'm always stuck between that rock and a hard place of, well, I've already got a gilet. Why do I want one with a, 
another logo on it or another brand. I don't know, a Montclair one or a Canada Do, Goose. Does it depend or... if you're going into a retail bank or a hedge fund? That is very true, actually. I think so. I think so. <laughs> I, I think I think I think Patagonia is the uh, the hedge fund and yeah, mirror image. But I think retail bank probably get away with the Uniqlo. <laughs> there we go. Well, look, look, let, let, let's hand over. I, I quite like Uniqlo. Let's hand yeah, over so to. Um, the interview with Miros, we can hear all about how their product works and see whether or not you think it's something that would help your shopping experience online. Joining me today, we have Heiki and Diana from Miros. Um, let's start with you, Diana, because you're CEO of the business. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are and tell us a little bit about who Miros are? Hi, everyone. I've been uh, 15 years uh, in the tech world. Um, so started my journey since then, uh, mainly the idea was to change the way how people shop online nowadays, and that was then 15 years ago and now. And since 2009, I uh, worked on the sizing, helping people to shop online uh, using a virtual feeding room to try clothes on their body. And then moving to marketing technologies, helping people to getting recommended relevant products uh, clothing items to themselves um, and uh, and initially these were the main things but uh, as I grew into the role uh, we rejoined the old band back together with my first co-founders and uh, we're now working on another technology that helps people to shop online without having um, any words so it's wordless search it's a technology backed by a lot of AI models and uh, this, is, this is my main focus at the moment at Miros. And uh, it's a very exciting journey. We help a lot of shoppers from marketplaces to different multi-brand retailers to find their perfect item. And sorry, Heiki, if you, if you want to just very quickly introduce yourself. Um, so it's my startup number six. I've had uh, four exits before. Uh, one of those exits we built together with Dan, and uh, she's just so brilliant. Uh, it's it's uh, how often do you get the founders joined together to build the next venture, right? So I'm very proud that Diana is part of the team. Our previous company was acquired by Rakuten. It's the world's fifth largest e-commerce company. And uh, then we ended up uh, being part of Rakuten, trying to solve the, the problems that uh, such large e-commerce, well, almost monopolies, are facing. And that was also the start for, for Miros, as what we realized being inside Rakuten was, you know, you have the retailer e-commerce platform with hundreds of millions of products. So it wasn't that products don't exist. It was rather that people uh, looking for those products couldn't find them. It was like as if you have this huge haystack of products, but only one needle. The bigger the haystack, the harder to find the needle. And, well, how do you, how do you then solve this problem? I, it's, when it comes to uh, products like especially fashion or furniture or design, uh, what is this thing that we all have felt? when when shopping or searching for these products it's the, the problem of course is within us uh, the humans our inability to articulate when products get uh, highly visually complex there's even a saying a picture is worth a thousand words you never walk into a shop and go to your sales assistant and, and start describing this rich 
imagery that you might have in your head about your style choices. So then there's bound to be a better way. And the better way is, well, how do you solve it? Build a technology that sees what images people are thinking of, that sees into your brain. Look, this sounds amazing. And, and, and you look online and you talk about predictive personalization and wordless search. <laughs> and you're kind of sitting here listening to the two of you and you go, well, this sounds brilliant. But equally, I have no idea what it would look like in reality or how it would work. So, so assume that I'm a very stupid person and just kind of try and talk us through a couple of examples about how this might play out for someone in a retail environment. Um, you know what, uh, David, sometimes people ask me, uh, so how does it work? Can it really see those pictures in my mind? How does it work? Do you, do you have to like implant a chip in your brain? And it sounds very scary. Um, this is, of course, not, not the case here. So what happens is it's possible to build an artificial intelligence tool that is able to measure our interactions or thousands of interactions that we do in response to visual stimuli in just a few seconds. So think of this. If you look at a single image, what do you do? You either like it or you dislike it, right? You do those subconscious responses. If you look two images, your responses are tell the AI a bit richer story. So now, if the AI is able to show you thousands of images or thousands of visual fragments in, let's say, 20 seconds, suddenly something amazing happens. It By comparing your subconscious responses, it's able to predict, if you're thinking of a dog or a chair, which breed of this dog is, how is this dog, which position this is. It's just incredible how much accuracy you can get uh, through these interactions in just 30 seconds or 60 seconds. Diana, mm -hmm. what set you off on this path? How, how you've... You talked in your opening about the fact that you've worked on a number of different ideas and, and you've, you've got to this point, but just kind of unpacking in a bit more detail, how did you get to the point where you went, this, this is a problem that I really want to solve? I think it was always in my heart, uh, the fashion itself, because my mother is a fashion designer. Uh, right. So then the technology came because I went to STEM school and a boarding school and then I learned a lot of um, IT, very young age. Uh, I was 14 at the time. And then... Um, the idea itself about mirrors, it came because a lot of the times, um, in, even in my childhood, remember, some clients came to my mother and were explaining, oh, I want something, but I don't know what I want, but could you explain it? Uh, so a lot of words, but like couldn't explain what they wanted. So maybe that's just very, very early where I had the first ideas. But then uh, with our first company, we take it together, which was a sizing technology company, uh, and so to Rakuten, uh, then Heike and Paul, our third co-founder, what they've noticed working there later on, that uh, they didn't require us for only for the sizing, but to enhance the capability of overall search. And I, at the same time, I worked on uh, different ventures, mainly interim head of e-commerce for different brands, and I saw the same problem in the e-commerce side, um, that we couldn't actually, the search was a problem, we couldn't on the side, help shoppers to find the right items that they were looking for. And then we rejoined the forces. Uh, again, um, I like to say the old band got back together uh, as the golden trio. And now we're 
We're on the new path with Heike and Paul and solving the way how people shop online and helping them to find the right items and not also find items they love and don't return. And uh, it's good for the sustainability as well. Of course. In terms of the channels of retail where this is, this is working, I would imagine that something like Miros then tells you as much as it does about you as it does about the the items that you're buying i can't see how this was ne- necessarily working in groceries you kind of don't walk into a supermarket and go well i don't know what what i want i want an orange type thing but i can see with regards to fashion home interiors home design furniture lamps stuff like that that's it's very much reflective of what someone wants the image of themselves to be or the image of their home to be or something along those lines or or have i read this wrong or there or there are other channels outside of those very obvious things that i suppose say something about us where this does also apply um it's it's actually quite incredible how transformative uh, this can be for many industries and of course it would be able to know what kind of food preferences you have. It would be able to help you describe uh, your last night's dream to generative AI and get exactly the result um, that that you're thinking of without having to translate this information into words first and then creating the output. Um, it's it's something, however, that uh, wait. It uniquely applies to fashion and when when Diana's input to the company has been so brilliant and valuable, it's uh, as a startup, I, I like what Disney said. Disney said, we don't make movies to make money. We make mo- uh, money to make movies. You have to apply your technology that you're building to an industry where it solves the actual monetizable problem. And then you earn money to be able to build this technology further for, for all kinds of other industries. But in fashion, we are talking of, of I had never seen before a startup opportunity of this size, of, of 2 trillion market, 2 trillion euro market that you can grow almost twice. So we move away from, from your business for a second and just talk more broadly about the industry as a whole. Um, we, we were all at Web Summit last week. Mm. 90% of the companies exhibiting, certainly in the alphas and betas, seems to have thrown the word AI into <laughs> the description of what they do. Are we losing a little bit of sight about the challenges that people are trying to solve? And kind of feels like we're going through some existential crisis at the moment. What What is technology about right now? What 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 do you think organizations should be focused on and are they getting a little bit sidetracked by the wonder of what is potentially possible um, through through the technologies that, that we we have at our disposable David, disposal rather? Um, I think it's uh, it's not wrong for startups to shout out uh, we are AI companies. And there's uh, it's exactly the same like take a few years ago everybody was shouting out we are cloud companies or we are we are mobile first companies a few years before that and that's okay um when we as startups we say something about technology that we use to build our solutions to help real life's problems that's okay if startups use this hype wagon because <laughs> startups also need the attention of investors right the truth is that today, if you take any technology company, they probably are using AI tools and 
then they choose to also shout it out, hey, we are an AI company. In Miros's case, so co-founder, he founded uh, the top 1% AI lab in Europe. He has been working, he's one of those AI grandfathers working working on this very problem that we are solving now for not, not for the past one or two years. He's been working for this for the past five or six years in academia setting. So we've always been an AI company from the very early days. But now also we use this word a lot more often than we used before. And look, you're, you're involved in, in the tech ecosystem. Both of you have been involved with it for some time. Heike, as he said, you're a veteran of, of six startups. Diana, um, obviously leading leading this business currently, but worked, worked across the industry for some time. Um, I'd just be interested to know what you get a sense of that people want. You know, where, where are we... Where do you think consumers and and people who are interested in tech are taking us right now? I think uh, there's a, co- a couple of good examples when we look at the nowadays generation set and the other websites that are accommodating the needs. For example, there's one American brand, Revolve. They really help. Like, they understand their consumers. They understand their audience. And there's many other also in Europe and in China as well. So I think... Um, the shopping uh, becomes more, maybe, in 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 a way, uh, taking into account the age, but also the interests of the people. Also, there's like communities, certain communities that shop in certain shops. So this is what we see as well. I think we are, when it comes to e-commerce specifically, you know, about ten years ago there were first uh, first online fashion retailers, and it was so exciting. You can order stuff online, and it gets delivered home, and then you then you open the box, and it doesn't fit, or it's the wrong color, all of those things, and there's a huge disappointment. And now the world is a different place, and now the the e-commerce is is taking over the normal retail. We actually see the, sh- the retail physical shops closing because of this. Thirty uh, percent in in the UK. Thirty percent of fashion sales are online, um, but there's something missing online, which is there in shops, which is so important to fashion specifically. Uh, fashion is all about passion. I, mm-hmm. I, I like to call fashion tech actually a passion tech. And when you go online, it almost sucks out the emotion out of you. You just browse and browse and browse, and it feels like hard work, which it shouldn't be. Uh, Fashion should be exciting experience. So what I think we'll be seeing in the short few next year is this excitement is being given back to online shopping. The consumer experience changes dramatically, uh, mm-hmm. starting from the immersive shopping where you put on the virtual reality goggles and you really feel it to the point where you can use your mobile screen, and this is really incredible uh, technology, uh, where you can use a mobile screen and look at the image of the fabric on the screen and slide your finger over that screen and you can feel, you can actually feel that fabric under your fingers. This is incredible changes that come, come technology-wise. However, there's something which is very close to my heart, which people, technology enables us to buy more. But buying more is not the goal. Uh, the conscious consumerism is, is the goal. Uh, you know, you, you, you're, you're 
precipitating my next question because I, I I did want to pick up on this point because you mentioned sustainability and you mentioned that there'll be less returns and that's that's fantastic, but also if you're tapping into people's desires, we are hardwired unfortunately to like new things. It would seem. How do you balance that, especially when you're building an e-commerce business which is predicated on sales? I assume it's it's going to be slightly higher end sales and and higher quality goods, but it, it's it's a difficult path, I suppose, to find to make sure that you're conscious as you as you were beginning to say. I need to give a piece of data because I, I feel everybody must know this. It was two years ago when the industry of fashion became worst for worst industry for a planet. So it's not oil used to take the number one position. Now it's fashion. It is really the worst industry for our planet, and it's it's mostly because of the fast fashion, where they cut the corners to save the costs, and those cutting the corners come at the cost of our the planet we live on. Well, people, what they do, uh, especially online, uh, 65% when they start shopping is they push this magic little button, which is sort by price. What happens then? You only see the cheapest items, you end up buying the cheapest items. And this is a spiral of death for the industry, which cannot compete endlessly on price and endless discounts. But it's also a spiral of death for our planet, which keeps churning out more and more and more of those fast fashion items that you then throw away. So what if the world would be different? And instead of you or the shoppers, Buying stuff that they would only wear once, or honestly, those three euro dresses that you can buy on Amazon, AliExpress, Sheen, maybe you don't wear even once. What if instead you will spend your annual budget on items that you really, really love, that you want to wear more often, that you demand have been produced with higher quality, and therefore you will maybe your fashion budget annually is the same, but you will buy fewer items that will last longer. Look, a, a last point that I, I wanted to touch on then. Um, you're both Estonian? Yes. To make sure. Yes. Don't want to make uh, make any assumptions. Uh, Diana, why do you think it is that, that Estonia, for, for such a small country, seems to punch above its weight when it comes to technology innovation, technology startups? Uh, before we hit record, hey, you described it as the kind of the unicorn factory. Why? What are the ingredients there that make make you so successful? I think uh, so. As a country, we actually uh, we've had, uh, in in a way, we've had uh, a lot of different cultures um, coming into our main culture. So I wouldn't want to say the word invading, but in a way, yes, <laughs> over the centuries, <laughs> and uh, that made us very strong. And uh, we have very very high, uh, I think, toler toler. With tolerance uh, for actually uh, having a high stamina as well and um, adapting to any situation. So that built our nation we're quite easily. We're not like we're kind of like chameleons in in a way. Like we could just like go in a new country and start to be like. I think it was Mark uh, Twain who said that in every harbor there's one Estonian. Um, so I would like to quote that, but let me, <laughs> so it's kind of true. It's something that actually we've learned over the centuries. It's in, in a ballad, but at the same time, uh, we also need to look outside. Uh, when we build a bigger company, we solve a bigger problem. 
Estonia is very good to actually like finding a dear, very good work ethic, discipline, but to take it to market and be a global company, uh, that needs mm. a little different approach and a different team and talent. I, I just just throw in one thing there then. What what can companies in in I don't know, Paris, London, Berlin take from your experience then? Because hearing you, that's brilliant, but cultural identity, cultural tradition, heritage, that's not something that can be easily lifted. So what what are the lessons from your experience that can be applied to other to other hubs to try and make them uh, successful when it comes to, to nurturing those startups? Okay, so for that, I would probably we would need many hours. Uh, so in short, I try to answer that question. I think um, this adaptability towards different changes, what we've had also adapt new cultures externally. Um, so be very, I think Estonians have it in it that they just could like, adapt to any culture, adapt to different uh, work environments, and uh, that helps a lot. I think that's one of the main things, the adaptability. I'll give you an, an, an perhaps anecdote. So uh, somebody who would be having a, an idea for startup uh, that changes the world. And by definition, any idea that changes the world starts out as a crazy idea, right? So that founder might be sitting in a cafe in Silicon Valley or in London, uh, surrounded by other startup people and VCs, and would be talking to somebody about his idea of building a rocket ship to Mars. And this person he's talking to you asks, so what kind of engine are you going to use and what kind of life support for the, the, for the people inside this would be using? And, and here in Estonia, if you'd be sitting in a cafe and talking to somebody about your world-changing idea of building a rocket ship to Mars, the other person looks at you and says, are you crazy? So perhaps it's because it's harder uh, to build a startup here. You have to be hard-headed. And being hard-headed as a founder is a prerequisite. Uh, but it's also ability to bring the team to join this journey, uh, to build this crazy dream, the crazy idea. They have to believe in this. Um, and uh, to be honest, that's something that is hard in Estonia. We only are 1.3 million people. So we have to bring the team uh, from the other countries. Our team, David, is global. Uh, we have uh, different team members uh, from from UK to Germany to also in America. Um, they all work for the same goal, for the common goal, uh, to help people, uh, to shop online. And we have kind of like a hybrid model. Um, most of it is remote, but in a way it's hybrid as well. We have a lot of department gatherings, in-person ones, and also all hands once a year, and quarterly gatherings between departments. Let me ask you both one one quick fire question to end on, and try and try and answer this in I don't know twenty words or less. What one question do each of you as technology leaders have for your peers, for other leaders when you get the opportunity, especially as we've just had a big kind of global conference where everyone gets together? What question are you asking other people? Um, I actually have exactly that, that question. I always show them how Miros works and then I ask uh, their advice. Personally, I'm also interested in how other people grow companies from 0 to 20, 20 to 100 million and beyond, or even have the company listed in Nasdaq. And uh, 
I was so lucky to moderate an amazing um, panel discussion uh, during the Web Summit uh, with 20 C-level executives, which gave me a lot of insight to look things differently. So also like, yeah, so just to see how, how do you take the journey from zero to like beyond the sky? So that's something I always ask. Thank you both very much for your time this morning and uh, best of luck as Miros continues to grow. David, thank you. Thank you. Right, Akish, um, whilst we're on the subject of AI, we've spent the first half of the show uh, in the world of Miros and e-commerce. Uh, mm. We're going to finish with a quick chat about AI audio firm Eleven Labs. It's been reported in UKTN that they have secured unicorn status with a £63 million round. Um, so they're a London-based AI text-to-speech company, which has been valued at more than a billion dollars after an $80 million or £63 million Series B round. Now, I wanted to talk about this because I think there's been a little bit of a lack of confidence around the technology market in the latter part of, of last year. Um, there are reports that AI might be about to cause a, a kind of a bull market in technology, and that's beginning to take shape, that firms have kind of finished cutting the fat of their over hiring off the back of the of the the pandemic and now they're looking mm. to ramp up hiring around ai and data um mm. what, what do you think of this i sent the article over to you um i think in terms of a product i think it's bloody amazing um i think you, in I, terms I think of... it's a bit concerning for us i mean it's it's entertainment it's it's, it's ai voice i mean well, yeah to just create a podcast mate oh I, I know i know but also it's it's you know they can translate films generate transcripts like if you're i'm, I'm thinking of it from more of a commercial point yeah, of yeah. view right you can reach so many more audiences at maybe a fraction of the price that you would need mm -hmm. to do if you actually gotta you know sit there and translate things and send stuff across i also think um for things like news outlets and you know these sorts of people and media companies i think it's it's amazing because, uh, you know, we, we see things at the moment about, for example, stuff happening in the Middle East and, you know, the Western, you know, and there's questions raised as the Western media, you know, kind of showing us everything or saying everything that's right, blah, 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 whatever. That's a different, that's not for this podcast. But, you know, it's, I think things like this will, will allow those transcripts, translations, the, the versions, you know, to actually be quite good, quite direct and in languages that can be consumed by, by um, you know, people taking it in. Well, look, we, you, let's just give it a bit of extra context. And I think this, yeah. this could go one or two ways, basically. The tool is primarily designed for content creation for both entertainment and education. However, mm. with the new funding round secured, the company has also announced a handful of new product developments to be released within coming weeks. These include a dubbing studio that can translate the audio of films and generate transcriptions, translations and time codes, and a voice library in which users can create a cloned version of their own voice to be licensed to others. Mm. Now, on the one hand... I suppose this is a bit like the kind of the whole AI de-aging de thing. You could find a situation where licenses are signed and you could have endless films forevermore with a young Robert De Niro or a young mm. Harrison Ford or, um, you know, actors who want to lend their voices to certain products. They no longer have to turn up. Uh, a licensed mm. version of their voice can be used. I suppose for some people that that seems like a really great tool to be able to um, 
you know, make use of their voice in a way mm. that they can control and make extra money, or you, you get to see your favorite stars uh, mm. in a way that you, you maybe had thought that opportunity is gone. You could also, on on the flip side, argue that that stops, if it's all about content creation and entertainment, it stops new performers coming through because if you can get a really cheap AI licensed version of that actor that everyone likes, yeah. Yeah. where's the point in discovering someone new and taking a punt on them? Yeah, correct, correct. And and I think that's it, right, where, where you can almost create clones and you can use the same person or same voice over and over and over again. But does that pave the the way for the next generation of mm. you know content creators or whatever but also on the flip side i think it 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 makes those starting off in these sorts of industries now their job a hell of a lot harder compared to those that started i don't know 50 60 yeah. years ago you know um and yeah. look to be perfectly honest if you're in france and you're a actor who does a lot of dubbing work on and you know I, I went on a lot of family holidays to France when I was when I was a kid and I used to watch things like you know we put the TV on and try and work out what was going on in the Simpsons mm. or ER and mm. you've got all of these foreign voice actors doing all the dubbing work all of a sudden all of those jobs disappear because they're going to be more expensive than the licensed True. version and this licensed version could be a clone of the original vo- actor's voice so you know mm. I don't know if it's if it's ER George mm. Clooney couldn't speak I don't know, 50 languages, but all of a sudden using AI, you've got George Clooney's voice in yeah, 50 yeah, languages yeah. around the world and yeah, you don't yeah. need all of those actors that, that, that do George Clooney's work in various different countries. Yeah, and and that's... Oh, God, that, that's hard, isn't it? Like, when you, when you think of it that way and think of it, you know, on a wider scale, yeah, it is bloody hard. Um, and, it, and it's tough, and I, I'm sure they're going to come up against a lot of opposition. Um, but, I mean... You know, if you look oh, at the people... And, and people saying it's a fantastic tool. I, I think there's yeah. two sides to this. Yeah, exactly. Like, and, and you look at the people, you know, former GitHub bosses backing it. You know, they've got investment mm-hmm. from a serial entrepreneur. Well, it's um, going to make a lot of money, isn't it? It's going to make a lot 100%, 100%. But again, we're one step closer to cloning human beings and individuals fully, mm-hmm. which is the absolute, you know, bloody scary think, part of it. Got to the point as well where if something is AI generated, it should say by law that it's AI generated. Yeah. To con- so that there's no confusion about whether or not you're watching someone like Brian Cox. Uh, I think made the point a few months ago that he would never want himself to be cloned by AI because he wants people to know that when he says something, it's him saying it. Mm. And he's got control of that. Mm. And you can you can see how people might get worried that. If it's pirated and it's not licensed or whatnot, mm. these mm. these technologies and this this by the way has got nothing to do um, with with Eleven Labs. This is just a, a bigger piece on that AI yeah. kind of yeah. Yeah. entertainment piece that you, you want to make sure that that you're controlling what you're saying and what people yeah. think you're saying. And deepfake is an issue, and everything should now say if it's real or if it's AI generated. Generated with AI. And, and I think that's even down to messaging, not just voice or, or audio, even it's if you know, you receive... news, you know, stuff yeah. that can form public opinion so quickly. Even mail shots, like, uh, you know, things like <clears throat> we, we can do very, very... What, what what these people probably would call basic things with AI, <laughs> um, you know, when it comes to sort of LinkedIn and, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, mass messaging and, and marketing tools. 
and but but I think that they need to come with a with a trigger on the banner to say, look, this has been generated by AI because otherwise you could put your name on anything, and anything could break down and something could go out and then you were tarnished with that. So, like we say, Dave, and what we've always said is there needs to be some serious regulation. There needs to be some regulatory body looking into this because if you land this in the wrong hands, then shit will hit the fan. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Well, look, um, Eleven Labs co-founder um, Matty Stanisvetsky. Here's a, here's a shout out. Um, Tech Talks. We've got an audience. We've got heritage. Mm. Apparently, top two percent most listened to podcasts in the world. Apparently, um, I am saying, come and talk to us and uh, tell us because we've got some questions and we'd love to know a little bit more. But congratulations on your, your unicorn status, and that is a good sign. Whatever the other issues around this, that is a good sign for the tech market, especially as it's a London-based company. Yeah, exactly. So anything to boost the economy of our city. Yeah, um, yeah that's and when great. You, when you're ready for Series C, Akisha's got his gilet on. He's coming around with what's, with wads of cash to invest. <laughs> um, yeah, something like that. I'll drop you a message on LinkedIn and we can talk <laughs> separately. <laughs> God. Right, we'll, we'll be back on Friday. Akisha, thanks for your time. No problem. Tech Talks is hosted and edited by David Savage. It is produced by Nash Squared. And we have special thanks to Lemzy for supplying music to this show. <laughs>